Hey guys, welcome to Big Church Online. We are so excited that you've joined us today. If you're looking for any sermons or words of encouragement, you've come to the right place. While you're here, please subscribe, like, comment, share. That way you can stay up to date and help others find it as well. Now, let's get this week's sermon in progress. All right, good morning, good morning. Left side, how y'all doing today? Come on, talk to me. Talk to me. Right side, how you doing today? Come on, middle, how you feeling today? Talk to me. All right, you are alive, and I'm excited to hear that. I'm excited to talk to people because I've been preaching to Pastor Rich and Pastor Mindy's dogs all week. I think I got them saved. I think they're secured. But with that being said, let's go ahead and talk about it. Pastor Rich and Pastor Mindy are not here with us this morning. They are actually at a conference slash vacation because it's in Florida, so you know they're hitting a beach. Um, but they deserve it. I mean, they do so much that we see. They do so much that we don't see. So we are just praying that God is just revealing himself in a deeper level to them so that when they come back, they're ready to release that. And we're just praying that they're enjoying their time, hopefully not too much because we're going to need one of them to speak next week. But with that being said, you got stuck with me this morning. And so... Let's do a sermonic survey. Who has never heard me preach? You are looking at me, looking at you, thinking, who is this big body on stage? Okay. Anything I mess up, just come back next week and Pastor Rich will fix it. Amen? I'm kidding. Um, but like that video said, I mean, that's one of my favorite movies. And he talks about soul power. And I want to talk about our soul this morning because I think so often we care more about how we're going to be entertained versus how we're going to care for our soul. I think we care way too much about what we're going to feed ourselves versus what we will feed our soul. And so to get a better understanding of what we're talking about, we're gonna go to the great theologian, Gouglet. Some of you just found out he's a theologian. And so Google says that the definition of our soul, it is the spiritual or immaterial or emotional part of our being. And I love what the Gospel of Mark says, is anything worth more than your soul? I love what the Gospel of John says, if your soul is well, your life will be well also. And so before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just say good morning. God, I thank you that nobody in this room is here by accident. And so with that being said, God, I pray that I would remove myself from the situation and just give you full control. God, I pray that you would use me as a vessel to speak to your people. Lord, they came expecting. So God, I just pray that I don't stutter. I pray that I don't forget what I'm going to say. And with that, I give you all of the praise and all of the glory. And the church said, come on, somebody, you have not because you ask not. So we're going to be reading in Galatians 5 this morning, but before we dive in, I need to give you a big piece of overarching context, and I'm going to give it to you in three points, and the first point is the reality of an unseen realm, that you are a person with a physical body we see in the natural, but there is also a part of your being that is your soul, and it is immaterial. And there is a spiritual world just on the other side of our world. 
And for God, his reality is both realms. And in the Bible, it tells us that in heaven, there was unity, there was peace, there was love, there was joy, until one day there was a cosmic rebellion. And what happened was Satan decided that he would get others to side with him in war against God. Now, God ultimately, in his glory, drives that rebellious, demonic culture out of heaven, and it comes to the earth. What does Jesus say in the book of Isaiah? I watched you fall like lightning. And so you and I, when we see things like strife, jealousy, to use the language of the text that we're going to be reading, people biting and devouring one another, we need to remind ourselves that this is an old war that started up there. That is the reality of the unseen realm. The second thing, God creates Satan counterfeits. God, I mean, Satan cannot create anything. He can only give you a mimicked, corrupt copy of what God already made. What are some examples? I'm so happy you asked. Well, God creates truth, and the counterfeit is lies. God creates angels, and the counterfeit is demons. God wants you to be spirit-filled, and the counterfeit is for you to be demon-possessed. And what you're going to see today is that God's desire for you and I is to live in freedom. And the counterfeit is slavery. And the third thing and the last thing, so we are in the place between the times. God already won his war in heaven. He drove out the culture of rebellion. So heaven has a culture and hell has a culture. You're gonna see them today. The culture of heaven, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and other things. In addition, the works of the flesh, that's the culture of hell. Addiction, strife, jealousy, enmity, and other things. And so you and I, we have the ability and the opportunity to either invite heaven down into our life or to pull hell up into our life. But what you need to know is that the two cultures do not coexist. And how does Jesus teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you were built, made, and created to pull heaven down into your life. And so now to really just scope in the shot, before we jump in, the war has now come to the church. And Paul is writing to address what God creates and what Satan counterfeits. Not only does the war come to the church family, but it comes to your family and it comes to your relationships. And so God wants to rightly order the church family to rightly order your family and your relationships. You see how it's a domino effect. And so we pick up in Galatians 5 verse 13. What we're gonna see is Paul addresses two groups of people. And he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. I'll go ahead and add my sisters, ladies, you're not left out this morning. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He just addressed the first group of people. These are the rebellious people. These are people that know grace is a real thing. They know mercy is a real thing. They know forgiveness is a real thing. So the question is, what stops them from living their life however they want to in hopes they can just pray for forgiveness and all will be made right? And Paul is specifically warning against that. Do not use your freedom for the flesh. Now, what is flesh? That is you minus God. 
You minus God is the flesh. And Paul is saying, don't go after that, which is the counterfeit. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the second group of people that Paul is addressing, and it is the religious folks. These are people that know the rules. They follow the laws. They cross their T's and dot their I's. And what Paul is telling us is we have to figure out which one is the counterfeit. Is it religion or is it rebellion? The answer is they both are. They both are. You need to know that. The first thing that Paul tells us is that religion and rebellion are both hell up, not kingdom down. And there's all of this conflict. There's all of this arguing. On the religious side, they're saying, well, you take your liberty too far. You do things that you're not supposed to do. You abuse, you abuse the grace of God. And the rebellious people are saying, well, you're not loving. You're not showing mercy. You do not remind us of the character of Christ. And so the religious and the rebellious, they're arguing. They're having conflict. It reminds me of a story that Jesus tells. And Pastor Rich is going to be so upset that he missed this. It's the story of the prodigal son. And so Jesus tells this story, and a father has two sons. One is religious, one is rebellious. The rebellious son goes off to Vegas, squanders his inheritance. He does some naughty things. The religious son, he was not unrighteous, but he is self-righteous. And so when the rebellious son returns home, the religious son can't greet him, can't talk to him. His father is excited that the rebellious son has returned. He's repented, and he throws a big celebration. And the father realizes that the religious son is not joining him. And so he goes to the religious son, son, why will you not join us? And what does he do? He begins to present his resume. Well, this is who I am. This is what I've done. There are rules and I am a rule keeper. Here's the truth. We're all rule breakers. We're all law breakers. We all fall short of the glory of God. So what do you do? Is, is there a third way? If it's not religion, it's not rebellion, what does Paul say in verse 16? But I say, walk by the Spirit. Say Spirit. Come on, say it like you mean it. There we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And so the key of the story of the prodigal son, it's not so much of the religious son or the rebellious son, but the son of God telling the story. And Jesus' entire life was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is that the secret to a victorious, free, heaven-down, genuine, authentic relationship with God is the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so everyone here, you and I struggle with some element of the flesh. That's our fallen desires. And what Paul is saying is that there is one solution to all of those needs. I was thinking about it like this. Um, when I first started the job I'm in right now, what I do is I go to businesses and I restock their first aid supplies. And some businesses are easier to get into than others. 
Some places I would walk in, knock on the door. Hey, I'm Trey, I'm here to take care of you. What do I need to do? Show me where to go. And I would find out that I'm getting stuck in warehouses and offices for like 20 minutes. And then finally, someone's nice enough to let me in. And then I'll go talk to the person I need to talk to. And they say, how was it? I wasn't too good, man. I got stuck in your warehouse for like 20 minutes. This forklift driver was looking at me like I'm crazy. And he's like, oh, we didn't give you a badge? I'm like, no, I would love one of those. And so when I got the badge, I was able to go and do what I needed to do. I could go from office to office, from in and out. The Holy Spirit is the badge that gives you access to the kingdom of heaven. You want righteousness, you want holiness, you want peace, you want love. The Holy Spirit is the badge that gives you access to the kingdom of heaven. And so I have three brave individuals that are gonna come up on stage. Come on, come on, come on. Y'all clap it up for them. And before we dive into verse 17, I want to show you a demonstration. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take it back to creation. And this is God making man. And so you come up here, come up here, fall in right behind him and you right behind him. So as God creates man, he forms one being, he forms one body and he calls his name Adam. And what does he say when he's making Adam? Let us make man in our image. And so since God said, let us make man in our image, stand over here, Adam has three parts. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? What does the Bible say? That he picks up the dirt of the earth. Did you all know you're dirty this morning? And he picks up the, the pre-existing substance of the earth and he begins to form a body, and then he breathes into him his spirit. I believe the Greek word is zoe, meaning life. And then man becomes a living being. So since God breathed in his spirit inside of Adam, a spirit is what you are. Man is a spirit. He is not a body and you are not a soul. Man is a spirit, and those that worship God must worship him in, in truth and in spirit. The soul is an attribute that you have. This is where my emotions flow or crush or shatter or break, this is what holds my pain, switch it up, my power, determination, my grind are housed here in my soul or mind. Mind is different from brain. The brain is a part of my body. So think of the body as an apartment. This is a rental, this is not what you own. It's an apartment. Depending on how you work out in the gym, it might be a mansion. So the body is where you live in. The soul is 
how you live it in, and the spirit is who lives in it. So let's talk about your soul for a second. David says, no man cared for my soul. They didn't care how I felt. They didn't care about the damage. They didn't care how I was feeling. But you need to know that just because you feel a certain way, that's not who you are. And so verse 17, it says that the desires of the spirit are against the flesh and the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And so the thing is, what you need to know is that if nothing went wrong in your life, there would still be a war in your members coming from the fact that oil and vinegar do not mix. And so you face here because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And on one side, your spirit is saying that you are holy. On the other side, your flesh is saying you are nasty. On one side, your spirit is saying that you are more than a conqueror. And on the other side, your body is saying you are nothing but a loser. And my soul keeps going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And after a while, your soul says, y'all two are driving me crazy. And so many people say they're struggling with their mental health. But I think, in fact, what you're struggling with is your soul. But through the language changing, through culture changing, we have lost the correct language to identify the issue that we're experiencing. And if you can't identify the issue with the correct language, you're never going to be able to solve the problem. It seems kind of strategic, doesn't it, right? If I go to the doctor and I'm saying, hey, doc, my body's hurting, and he gives me a Band-Aid whole time I dropped a brick on my foot, I'm not going to be able to get the problem fixed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Y'all give it up for him. They did great. And he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Pay, pay close attention to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Most people think Christianity is about what you don't get to do. But once the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he changes your desires. Now you finally get to live out the new desires that God gives you as a new person, as a person that has experienced a new birth. Now, let me say this. Some of you, your designated primary identity for yourself and your identity will unlock your destiny. So your identity is important. But some of you may see yourself in sin. And the Bible does talk about sin and sinners. Absolutely, it does. I believe it's over 300 times. But Paul uses this phrase to refer to a believer. I believe that it's over 200 times. And the phrase is, in Christ. So how do you see yourself in sin or in Christ? If you see yourself in sin, then you're thinking that your deepest desires are evil ungodly, are religious, or rebellious. 
Now, if you see yourself in Christ and your identity is consistently in Christ, though occasionally you do sin, what you will find is that you are living by faith, trusting that God is not a liar. And so if you are a Christian, your deepest desires are for Jesus, things that obey the word of God and are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a, an example. This is the primary difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Both a Christian and a non-Christian struggle with temptation to sin, but for the non-Christian, the deepest desires are sin. And for the Christian, the deepest desires are the spirit of God. That's the best way that I can say it. So you feed your deepest desires, starve your weakest desires, because what does it say? That sin keeps you from doing what? What you want to do. And so when you are a non-Christian, there are things that you love that when you become a Christian, you hate. And what God does is he changes your desires. I have a story I wanna share with you and it's kind of embarrassing, but hey, we're all family. So I remember I was a freshman in high school. I was a, I was a young buck and I got into smoking cigarettes. Oh, y'all got quiet, what happened? I thought, I thought it was cool. But one day, so I, I had a buddy, he would buy them for me, he was a senior. And he came to me one day, he was like, hey man, you wanna try some dip? And I'm like, some what? He's like, some dip. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, oh, it's the same thing as a cigarette, except you can do it in class. I was like, all right, let's, let's go for it. So this was like right before second period. I proceed. He pulls out the can. And I take, you know, a fat old pinch, put it in my lip, and I walk into class. And I have a little Taco Bell cup. And I mean, I'm buzzing hard for a second. But then like seconds later, I get nauseous because I couldn't handle it. And I wanted to throw up, but at the same time, I didn't want to, I'm in class and I couldn't hold it anymore. So I cover my mouth and I'm running to the trash can. I mean, it's coming out of my nose, it's coming out of my mouth, in front of my teacher, in front of my classmates. Some of them knew what was going on, some of them didn't. My teacher's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I gotta go to the bathroom. In that moment, I had a conversion experience. I no longer wanted to take part with dip. To this day, I get sick when I see people dipping. If I see the water bottle with dip spit in it, I get weak, yeah, mm-hmm. Now that's a goofy story, but what is that? That's new desires. What God does is he changes your desires. And so what he's saying is that in this third way, a walk with the Holy Spirit, it keeps us from the ditches of religion and the ditches of rebellion. I'll tell you this, if you do not walk with the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up in the ditch of religion or the ditch of rebellion. And some of you just keep changing ditches. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're the Christian kid, you grew up in the Christian home, your parents were super strict. They're giving you all these rules, and at one point, you're like, I'm tired of following the rules. I'm going to rebel. This happens when you're 13, 14, or 15. Some of you are saying, oh, no, not my baby. Mm. 
And what are you doing? You are dating, relating, fornicating. You are rebelling until you hit a certain point where you feel bad and you're like, I'm going to go back and follow the rules. And some people will spend their entire time jumping ditches, missing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul's getting ready to do is he's going to compare and contrast the the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh are hell up, the fruit of the spirit are kingdom down. And he says in verse 19, now that the works of the flesh are evident and in an age of social media, they are really evident. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's okay, y'all can take a deep breath. We're done with reading the list, it's okay. And so if those are your strongest, longing, deepest desires, I believe that you have not yet met Jesus and accepted the Holy Spirit into your life. And so Paul gives us three categories of sin, sexual sin, spiritual sin, social sin. You and I, we will struggle in one or more areas. Many of us struggle sexually He says, sexual immorality. That's where we get our word pornea or pornographic. It is anything outside of heterosexual marriage. For some of us, we struggle sexually because it's spiritual. It talks about idolatry. That is when anyone or anything has taken the place of God's position as the most important thing in your life. He begins to talk about Enmity. I'll be honest, I didn't know what enmity meant. I had to look it up. I had to go to, to my theologian, Google. Enmity means someone does something to you and you will not forgive them. And because of that, you hate them. And when you do that, you are inviting the culture of hell up into your life because you are not forgiving them. And hell is the place where no one or nothing is forgiven. Heaven is the place where everyone and everything is forgiven. So when you say, I'm not going to forgive you, you are saying, I am now pulling the culture of hell up into this relationship. He continues to say strife, that is uh, drama, arguing, jealousy. I mean, in an age of social media, it feels like we're trying to make people jealous. Hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. This is where I am. I'm on vacation, you're stuck at home. (laughs) And he continues to go, fits of anger. This is someone that's like a time bomb. Maybe you've had a parent like this. It's like you, you just get around them and they just explode. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Division didn't start until Satan rebelled. Division literally means two visions. And what Jesus says is that a house divided within itself will not stand. 
And he continues to say, envy, drunkenness, this can be any kind of addiction, drugs, alcohol, gambling, orgies. This is college spring break, and I'm getting ready to show my age because um, I had a conversation with somebody last week, and um, I didn't know what Woodstock was. But that is what orgies are. I'm not going to point in the direction, but it was someone over there. And I just finished reading the list, and some of you are saying, I guess I'm good. I I didn't make the list. And then Paul adds this little junk drawer in things like these. Because you have your thing. No, Trey, I'm good. I ain't got my thing. You're proud. That's demonic. You need Jesus too. And so all of this is bait. And I have a question. How many of you, let's just be honest, how many of you have these things tempt you, try you, test you? They do. And so what we need to do is have some measure of grace with one another. Because of what you struggle with is different than what they struggle with. And because they don't struggle with it and you do, you will judge each other. Well, how do you struggle with that? That doesn't make any sense. Are you seriously struggling with that? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, but you struggle with that. Oh, no, no, I don't. That's that's just my personality. I took the test. I'm a J-E-R-K. That's how I scored out. And so what we need to do is have some measure of grace with one another. Because Satan uses these things to bait the hook of your flesh. How many of you all fish? You enjoy fishing? Show of hands. Okay. I used to. I no longer do. I found out there is fish at the store. Here's my case for this. Here's my case. When you go fishing, you have to wake up early. You have to make sure your tackle box is good, your poles are good, or you could sleep in and go to the store and come out with the same result. So I prayed about it. That's what I've come up with. But all of this is bait. And the thing that you need to know about fishing is what fish are in the water, and that determines what? What you bait your hook with. And so Satan does not care what bait he puts on your hook as long as you're willing to partake in it and he can reel you into the boat and take you with him. And so all of us have our tempting bait. And the key is that when you see it, remind yourself there's a hook in there. So is there, is there any other option from religion or rebellion or the works of the flesh? Yes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The kingdom of God is love, and Satan cannot counterfeit love. It is joy. It is peace. It is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Nobody has a problem with doing these things. And those that belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. So check this out. Since Jesus died, you can put your sin to death. 
Since Jesus paid the price, you don't have to minimize your sin. You don't have to compartmentalize your sin and try to keep it from taking over your life. Instead, you you can have freedom. You can have liberation because Jesus paid the price. Jesus's entire life was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he gives the Holy Spirit to you and I. And here's the thing, when you're dealing with law-based people, laws tell you what to do, but they don't tell you how to do them. The Holy Spirit not only tells you what to do, but he tells you how to do them. And check this out, he also gives you the want to to do them. Because I can get on this stage, any pastor, any fivefold minister, no matter how anointed they are, can get on this stage and tell you what to do. But if you don't want to, it ain't gonna get done. You hearing what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit, once he's inside of you, he gives you the want to, he tells you what to do, and he also gives you the how to. Why? Because he's personal, he's relational, and he's active. When the Holy Spirit is with you, he gives you all of the tools that you need. And so this is the character of Christ. This is the emotional life of Jesus Christ. He is not religious. He is not rebellious. He is the redeeming son. I'm going to close with this. Be a gardener, not a fruit inspector. Some of you will will read this and and say, love, mm, I don't see that in you. Joy, eh, you don't make me happy. Peace, we're not going to have any now because I'm being honest with what I think. Our job is not to be a fruit inspector in their life. Our job is to be a gardener to help them to be more fruitful. Pull the weeds, plant the seeds, water, tend, wait, care, love, prune, working towards a harvest. If I could, I would like to ask you all to stand. God's desire for us is to live in the character of Christ. God's desire for you is to live in freedom. God's desire for you is to be spirit-filled. And I wanna really close with this. I I just wanna say thank you for letting me speak this morning. Thank you for coming. You could have done anything else on your Sunday morning. My prayer is that you got something out of this. My prayer is that you got what you came to get, that you received what you came to receive. And so really quick, I just wanna pray for us. If we could just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for each and every person in here. God, I thank you for their hunger. I thank you for their desire to learn about you. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fall fresh on us this morning. God, I ask that you would just give us a fresh touch those that have questions, those that are curious, I just pray that you would meet them right where they're at because that's what you always do. God, we give you all of the praise. I give you all of the glory and I thank you for the future testimonies that are to come. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you're looking for more information or resources, you can visit mybigchurch.com or follow us on social media at mybigchurch. We love you guys. See you soon. Thank you.